All right, you guys ready to get started? Um, I got a lot of scripture I'm going to throw at you guys. Are you ready? <laughs> I know you're not used to hearing that in church, but uh, we're actually going to use the Bible. How many of you guys have a Bible on a screen? Yeah. How many real Christians who have a physical Bible? Okay, good for you. I, I have both, just in case you <laughs> So if, it, if this thing goes south, I'll just preach from this. It's okay. Um, all right, so I just want to do a quick recap. We've been talking through Ephesians. We're going to be talking through Ephesians for a little while. Um, we, we mentioned it, the first service uh, I did, first series um, that I did on, on Ephesians, or the first uh, session I did on, on Ephesians. I didn't even get to Ephesians. <laughs> I don't know if you were here for that. Um, but there's a reason for that. Ephesians is one of the most amazing books. They say, if you were, uh, and theologians say, if you were on a desert island and you could only have one book of the Bible, which one would you pick? A lot of people would pick Psalms, you know, maybe Proverbs, so you have enough wisdom to find the coconuts, whatever, I'm not sure. But a lot of theologians would pick Ephesians. And the reason why is just so rich in, um, in just our identity, who we are as Christians. And then also, it has such a powerful, the, you know, verses 1 through 3, I'm sorry, chapters one through three are about our identity and who we are in Christ. And then the last three chapters are about how that identity affects us walking in the inheritance we have personally. And then also because we've received that inheritance, how we can spend the abundance of the inheritance because there's way more than enough on other people as well. So I uh, just want to keep, keep that in mind as we kind of go in. Um, I started, uh, just as a recap, I started originally with a grammar lesson about indicatives uh, and imperatives. And if you haven't heard that, um, go back and listen. That's part of what the first one was about. But the indicative is simple. It's a statement of fact. The book is on the table, states what is. And so this is a big part of what the first part of Ephesians is. It's a, there are a lot of indicatives about who God says you are. This is the truth. This just is what is, right? And then the last side of that, the imperatives are a command. Put the book on the table. Um, and it attempts to control what is what, or what will be. So in other words, because of this, you can do this. Because Jesus has done this, put off wrath, put off you know, malice, um, stop gossiping, grow up. Um, all the things that he tells us to do, we see as commands. If we're not careful, the danger is we, we see those as New, Testic, New Testament laws or commands, but they are different than the Old Testament in the sense that the Old Testament was just an imperative. Do it period. No, because you can. Matter of fact, because you can't. That's why God said to do it. And the whole idea was to get you to a point where you recognized you had a need for a Savior. In other words, you, you start with imperatives, and all of us begin this way. It's like, I'm trying to live the Christian life. Well, that's where you're getting it wrong. <laughs> you can't try to live a Christian life if you're dead. But if you're alive, all you have to do, Scripture says, is account yourself, right? So like you're doing a checkbook, and you balanced out the numbers, and it's like, it doesn't add up, but it's, there's this big deposit that Jesus made, right? Now the checkbook adds up. That's why it says to account yourself or count yourself righteous, that kind of thing. So it's a grammar lesson. We started out with Ephesians. First part of it is talked about Paul's identity, and we jumped into chapter, um, uh, sorry, verse 3. And I'll just read this again to you. It's all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So this is that indicative I was talking about. This is, this is what's true. He has done this. Now, whether you and I ever take advantage of that is up to you and I. So, for example, you, you know, someone went down and anonymously put a million dollars in the bank, and you discovered it. Like, at first, if you're like me, I'm like, I don't believe it, <laughs> right? 
You see people who won the lottery and like they, they're in denial for like a whole day or something like it's not possible, there's no way, you know. And then they buy, you know, $50,000 worth of shoes or whatever, something stupid. It's <laughs> probably what I would do. Not shoes, I'd buy TV. That would be what I would start with. But you, you kind of get what I'm saying. We get this inheritance and oftentimes when we're young or we're immature, we don't, want, we don't know what to do with it. And then oftentimes, even then, if we get it and we know it's ours, we spend it sometimes on ourselves. Again, in immaturity, we do a lot of different things. So, so what the first part of Ephesians is really going after is, is this is true of you. You have an inheritance, and the Bible says that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because you're united in Christ. So you don't have it. It's not, um, it's not automatic, right? So in other words, it, you don't have it. Um, and, it, and everybody has it. No, you know, that's not how it works. It's um, available to everybody. We're going to get into this. It's available to everybody, but everybody doesn't take advantage of it. The only way you can take advantage of it is if you are in Christ, right? So we're going to get into what that means. We talked about how God teaches us in material blessings first. So we begin, like I remember this happened with us, Karen and I, in the early days, uh, especially of ministry. Um, God paid a house payment for us. That's a big, you know, that's a big amount of money. And we would, we would notice that God was doing these, you know, make, there were these incredible financial miracles, right? Especially in the beginning. And, and I learned later it was because, mostly me, it was mostly I was ignorant about kingdom finances, right? So I kept getting myself into trouble and Jesus kept bailing me out. Does that sound like the father-son relationship, right? You guys know those kids, or maybe you were that kid that your father had to keep bailing you out. But at some point, what God's trying to do is he's saying, hey, listen, I'm happy to bless you, and I want to do this. It's wonderful. And, and I show you how much I love you through this, but at some point, I want to teach you the principles of finances, finances in the kingdom. Because you're part of the kingdom, you're a son, and, and, and biblical finance is your inheritance, and so if you learn how to operate in biblical finance, then the challenges that you, that, you, know, you used to experience begin to go away, right? So one, one of the biggest ones is you learn to be content. You don't get caught up in the lie that every time you get a pay raise, your lifestyle has to come up to meet it, right? <laughs> you need to listen to Dave Ramsey about that if you've never heard that one. So that's an example. He teaches us in material blessings first. And then I, I, I shared last weekend that uh, God expects us to mature. And I read several scriptures. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to read a couple. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, when I was a child, this is Paul speaking, when I was a child, child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, though, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So notice that God didn't do it for him. And see, this is a big mistake as a child as we're growing up in maturity in the Lord, one of the things that we do is we keep asking God to do for us the things that he designed us to do because we have an inheritance, right? So, for example, I'll, I'll, pray, about, I'll pray about my situation at work, and, and I'll pray, it's like, Lord, it's really hard. <laughs> and the Lord's like, yeah. Yeah, but Lord, I want to go somewhere else. I want to go somewhere where it's not hard. And the Lord's like, okay, let's talk about what hard means. <laughs> Let's talk about why you're there in the first place. Let's talk about not hiding your light under a bushel. Let's talk about the reason you exist is to be in a place where darkness exists. So if you think you're ever going to be a place in a place where there's no darkness, you've mistaken your own identity in Christ, right? So you stop praying and say, Lord, get me out of here. That's, that's like, oh my goodness, that's the wrong way to think. Maybe that's what the Lord will do. Maybe it's a situation where you actually need to be removed from it. That's fine. But most of the time it's not. Most of the time, it's, Lord, this is a really tough situation. Talk to me about what I'm supposed to do. Had a guy in my, in my unit when I was in the Air Force. Um, his name was Jack. He was from Chicago, the mean streets of Chicago, and he was mean. 
and uh, <laughs> he was a bully. And so one day I'm praying over my meal during lunch, and he walks by me. He's just in the, in the break room, and he walks by me, and he just slaps me in the side of the head, just poof, you know, upside the head while I'm praying. And uh, he said, what you praying about, hell? I was like, and it turns out, so instantly I'm angry, right? Because I just got slapped in the head. You'd be angry too. <laughs> the thing was so interesting was I was praying for Jack. <laughs> and so this anger flares up, right? This natural emotion of anger because I just got slapped in the head. And instantly I remembered I was praying for Jack. And he asked the question, what you praying about, hell? And I, I, with all honesty, I could turn around and I said, Jack, I was actually praying for you. And he did not talk to me for three weeks after that. <laughs> That's a true story. Three weeks, it messed him up. And, uh, and he, he, to my knowledge, he never became a believer, at least while I was there. But I took him to the airport when he was um, PCS and permit changed the station out. And, uh, and I'm just driving, you know, and, and we don't have a relationship, Jack and I. <laughs> our relationship was he slapped me inside the, the head. That's basically our relationship. And I'm taking him to the airport. And he said to me, he goes, remember that time uh, you were praying for me? And I said, you mean that time where you slapped me in the head? Yeah, I remember that. He said, that really messed me up, man. I said, in what way? I won't talk about it. Like, dude, you brought it up. (laughs) But here's the point. You don't know, right? And so if I'd have done that my way, right? If I'd have done it my way, then the anger would have flared up and I would have slapped him in the head and he'd have beat me up because he was a lot bigger than I am. Um, But I didn't. I, I recognized that something was going on there that was bigger than, than me. And so there's a, there's a sense that at some point, my expectation or God's expectation of me is that I grow up. You know, when, I, when my brother yanks the, the toy out of my hand, when I'm two, I throw a hissy fit because that's what two-year-olds do. But when you're 16, you know, hopefully by, that, by the time you've worked it out and by the time you're in your 20s, you better have worked it out. Otherwise, you're in big, big trouble, right? So God expects us to mature. Another scripture, Hebrews 5.11 says... We have much to say about this. So he's writing this letter to these guys, and he's wanting to talk to them about some things in maturity. And he says, I have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. That's a slap upside the head right there, right? Verse 12, he says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. So listen to that. And if you don't understand grace, this is a tough scripture to read. Right? Anybody ever failed? Or is it just me? Okay, it's just me. So I'll tell you my experience. I have failed before, <laughs> and then I read scriptures like this, especially in the early days, and I'm like, I'm never going to get it. It's not going to happen. It's not my, light, my lot in life to be a mature believer. I'm just broken. You know, it's just who I am. Hear the, the self-talk, right? So what I'm doing is I'm identifying myself in a way that God has not identified me. And so God expects us to grow up, and so he starts with material blessings. He starts with material things because this is the natural, this is what you see. Right? You, you teach a child addition, and then you move on to calculus. Well, maybe not when they're a child, unless they're brilliant. But you understand, it's a process. And so God starts with material things, and, his, and the whole idea behind this is to move you to understand spiritual things, but then there's an expectation that you grow up, that all of us come to maturity. That's the expectation. The, the good news is there's grace for the journey, right? We're all thankful because, you know, by now, he said, by now you ought to be teachers. Listen to this. But you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. In other words, you learn this, and somewhere along the way you forgot it. So, so how, do you, how do you fix that? One way is you stay in the word of God, like you read on a regular basis. And then it comes up on a regular basis, the things of God, the understanding of you know, the, the mature things of God. 
God is able to say those things to you because you have ears to hear, because you're not pushing back going, you know, playing the pity party. This is what most of us do. It's like, God, you don't understand how bad it is. Think about that statement for a second, right? Jesus goes to the cross for us and he suffers the greatest punishment, right, that, that could ever exist for a human being in terms of not just the cross, but all of the sin of mankind come upon him. Jesus, you don't understand, right? <laughs> you kids ever say that? Dad, you don't understand. Your dad's like, yeah, I totally do. Been there, done that. Time to, time to put your big boy pants on, right? At some point, it's time to put your big boy pants on. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm having to give you milk again. So what is milk? Milk is grace. That's what milk is. Milk is grace. Milk is the gospel. Milk is Jesus loves you. No matter what you do, it does not change. You can screw up royally. I don't care how bad. If as a believer, again, the assumption is you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, this doesn't apply to you. But if you're in Christ, then the assumption is it doesn't matter how bad you screw it up. um, God never loves you any less. The consequences of your actions will come upon you a lot of times, right? And you'll pay a penalty. That's what the Bible says. Sin brings death. Ultimately, it, you know, sin, if you, don't, if you aren't found in Christ, then sin brings the ultimate death, spiritual death, right? Um, forever and eternity away from God. But even as a believer, it can bring death. It doesn't bring eternal death. We're going to get to that in just a second. But what it does bring is it brings death to relationships. brings death to your dreams. It bring, brings death to your purpose. It brings death to your impact. It brings death to your peace. The list could go on and on and on and on again. So if you find yourself in that place, maybe come back and go, you know what, I think maybe God's been trying to say some things to me, but I'm not hearing it. So what does that look like? Well, here's the thing. If you are a mature believer and you're spending time in the Word and you're spending time waiting on the Lord and talking to Him, Lord, what are you talking to me? What are you trying to say? And especially in this situation, I feel this, you know, this some, something's not right. You know, this, there's, there, there's not a... There's a dissonance, you know, there's, it's not resonating. Something's, something's off. God, what are you saying about that? And if you give yourself to that, God will talk to you every single time. Oftentimes, it, there's some things in the way that we can't hear him, so it takes a little while. But if you give yourself, my discovery is every time I've done that, God's always said something, he's always spoken to me, right? So I have clear direction. But what will happen is I'll get frustrated, I'll get angry, you know, I'll get irritated at my father, and I don't want to hear what he has to say. And then what I do is I shut his voice off. And then I complain, complain, complain. I, usually I don't complain to him because I don't want to talk to him. I complain to you, right? And then you, with all your wisdom and your kindness and your love for me, you say, Dave, I don't know, but it seems like this. And you say a hard thing to me. Like you're trying to give me meat, and I don't want meat. I want milk. Stop feeding me meat. I want milk. So guess what I do with you? I withdraw from you too. See how that works? So how do you fix that? Stop it. <laughs> super spiritual, I know, it's very deep, stop it. You get to make the choice. And this is what he said. He said, when I was a child, this is what I did. But when I became a man, in other words, by now you ought to be teachers is an obvious thing. You've been with the Lord long enough, okay? By now you ought to be teachers, you know it. So this is what he said, you put off the childish things. Stop. There are relationships you know that are childish and immature and you need to stop. There are patterns in your life that you're, that you're moving downfield in. You know they're wrong. Your pride's in the way. There's a hundred ways we could talk about this. You need to stop it. Because if you don't, then there's hell to pay. And I don't mean you're going to hell. I mean that there are consequences for missing the mark. So God says, here's how you're supposed to do it. This is how I've laid it out. This is what life in Christ looks like. Right? This is, this is the impact I'm meant for you to have. This is the inheritance I want you to receive. 
And this is how it works. And oftentimes we're like, but I don't like that. I want to do it a different way. And God's like, let me say this again. (laughs) This is how it works. So you can like it or not. You don't have to do it. God will, listen, God will love you and, and you will go into heaven. You are heaven ready the moment you give your life to Christ. But you will live a not so good life. At best, it's disappointment. Quiet desperation, I think one of the poets said. Right? Lives, most people live lives of quiet desperation. Why would you do that when there's an inheritance to be had? So whatever's in the way, God's kindness is he's going to bring that up to you. And oftentimes the way that comes up is he'll either talk to you if you're willing to hear it, he'll talk to you about it. But if you're not willing to hear it, he'll bring someone into your midst who will challenge you because they care about you. And if you're not careful, you'll misunderstand that challenge to think that they don't care about you and they're just trying to be mean to you. And then you play the little, little boy thing where you say, I don't know why you're so mean to me. He's like, because your, your underwear is on the outside of your pants, bud. You can't go to school like that. <laughs> right? So I don't know what your, under, your underwear on the outside of your pants is for your life. <laughs> but for whatever that is, it's God's kindness saying, go back and get redressed, right? <laughs> so I hope that's helpful. All right, so we're, ju- we're going to jump into Ephesians uh, 1.4. We're going to move on. We've, all, we've gotten in three um, Sundays, we've gotten to Ephesians 1 chap- uh, verse 4. So we're moving along here at a heavy clip. So... <laughs> So by next Christmas, we should be getting pretty close to starting Ephesians 4. All right, Ephesians 1.4. Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So this is the New Living Translation, and I'm using this on purpose. Um, when we read something as theologically rich as Ephesians especially, uh, Romans is another one. It's a really good idea to put your pride away and read it in a translation you can understand. Right, one of the worst things that we, we, we're like, I'm reading the most literal translations, the most accurate translation, and you don't have a clue what it's saying. So how's that working out for you? Answer is it's not. I'm not saying don't read the new, I mean, don't read the King James Version or a new King James Version or a new American Standard Bible, which technically is the most accurate translation, right? I'm just saying read enough translations and then go back and say, okay, is that what it's actually saying, Right? Because the New Living Translation is, is an approximation. It's, it, and what it allows for is it allows us to, another grammar lesson. It allows syntax to change. So it's not a literal translation. It's a phrase-by-phrase phrase or thought-by-thought thought translation. And it's not always right. That's why it's important to go, to, to go back and read it in a good translation. But if you don't read it in a translation you understand, it's not helping you. right? And so I'm going to read it again. Even before he made the world. So listen to that. It's a time thing. Before he made the world, God loved us. So if you read, if you had nothing else in your Bible, the only piece of Bible you had was half of that scripture. Before he made the world, God loved us. So why is it that we keep coming to him and going, God, you know, I've messed up and so I'm really, really sorry. And God's like, okay. <laughs> but you don't understand, Lord, I'm really, really sorry this time. Okay. No, no, no. Lord, you obviously do not understand how sorry I am. Why is it that we think we have to bring that sacrifice when the sacrifice of Jesus was enough? Right? But we keep doing it. And part of growing up in this is getting this settled in your heart. I mentioned this last week. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And listen, and he chose us. 
You did not choose him. Eventually you chose him. But first he chose you. He chose us in Christ to be holy. You're not going to be holy any other way. So stop trying. right? And get in Christ. In Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He chose us. There's, one of the words is blameless. Great word in there for, um, for he chose us uh, to be holy. It means to be free from sin, dirt, and filth. But what if I sin? Still free from sin, dirt, and filth. But I don't feel clean. Still clean. I, I just don't, but I don't feel, I don't care how you feel. It's got nothing to do with how you feel. Stop, worrying, stop living your life as a believer in how you feel. Your emotions were designed to serve you, not you serve them. So stop letting them lead you. Don't do it. That's why people say, I'm just following my heart. Don't do that. That's stupid. <laughs> your heart's going to deceive you. Anybody ever been Twitter-pated? And, and, like, and this person, you just love them, and obviously they love you, and then you're super disappointed? Yeah, I know, Dave. <laughs> I'm praying for you, Dave. It'll work out. <laughs> but but what, what happens is like, I don't understand. It's like, because your heart deceived you, right? It's, it's scripture even says in the Old Covenant, your heart's wicked, right? It's, it's, it's deceitful above everything else. That's not the New Covenant. That's the Old Covenant, right? So your heart can be transformed. Your heart, you get a new heart is what the Bible says. And that new heart, once it's formed in Christ, once it's settled, once it's come to maturity, then your heart can lead, right? But often we let our emotions, we call it our heart, but we let our emotions lead us and it's a really bad idea. So blameless, you're, you're blameless. And how he has taken, Jesus has taken our faith, or sorry, our Father has taken our faith in Christ and counted it as righteousness. So, so again, if you're trying to work in any way, in a form or fashion, trying to get there, you're wasting your time. It's never going to happen. It's not the way God designed it. The only economy in the kingdom, in the new covenant, is an economy of blood. It's an economy of sacrifice. That's why the Old Testament was a type and a shadow. And then Jesus comes and he lays his life down. And the only question was, was the sacrifice enough? And the way we know it was enough is Jesus got up out of the grave. We're going to be celebrating Easter here in a couple of weeks. And Jesus got up out of the grave. That's good news to you, right? Because that means the sacrifice was received. And you're free. And so we can celebrate Easter for that reason. We're going to get to verse 5. Woohoo! God decided in advance. Listen to this again. God decided when? In advance, right? To adopt us. So before you were good enough to be adopted, he adopted you. He decided he was going to adopt you before you ever measured up or lived up or any of those things. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, into his own family, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Listen to this. I love this version. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So stop saying things like, God, I just, you know, I know I've messed up, and I know with this, the implication is God doesn't really want you, and he's deeply disappointed in you. And, you know, and you just keep, Lord, you don't want to screw up in your family, right? That's what we say, right? Isn't that what we say? That's, that's what we're saying. Not, Lord, you don't understand. I, I know you're super smart and everything, but you're not nearly as smart as me, God. So you obviously don't understand where I'm coming from. I'm, I just can't be changed. I'm, I'm this way. This is who I am. This is what I do. And God's like, yeah, no, that's not true. I'm sorry. <laughs> but at some point, we're going to have to be convinced. So it goes on verse 6. It says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. We're going to get into more of that. But Ephesians 1.5, here's, here's an NIV. 
having predestined, anybody heard the word predestined? If you've been around church for a while, you've heard it. Having predestined us to adoption as sons. Listen to the other version. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. See how the syntax changed? Like, I remember reading this the first time. Even in the, the NIV, the nearly infallible version, it's still hard, right? <laughs> That's why there's, a, there's a version called the easy-to-read version, ERV. There's one called the New Living Translation. Those are good versions. So look at these. He goes on, he says, um, according to the good pleasure of his will. So let me read this again to you. So in the New Living Translation, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Predestined is a very interesting word. It just simply means foreordained. So let me just kind of touch on the part of this part of verse 5. According to the good pleasure of his will. So he chose us before the foundation of time. According to the good pleasure of his will, this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. When he chose you, he knew what was involved and he did it anyway. So stop fighting it. (laughs) Stop arguing with the God of creation who said before the foundation of time, I chose you. And I decided I wanted you in the family and it gave me great pleasure. Even with all your foolishness and brokenness and immaturity and messed up life, it gave me great pleasure to bring you into my family. We're going to get into, I can fix the brokenness if you'll participate with me. That's what Ephesians 4 through 6 is going to get after. So the root word for this foreordained or predestined before the foundations of time, it means to mark off or to set off the boundaries of something. So this is what God was saying. Don't get confused. There's, you know, uh, Calvinism, TULIP. I mean, some of you guys have heard some of these phrases if you've been to Bible college or studied some of this. There's uh, uh, Arminianism. There's... Moderate Arminianism, there's moderate Calvinism. There's a bunch of different ways to believe it, right? See it. The best thing to do is just go read it and see what God's saying to you. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) So here's what he's basically saying. You were foreordained. It's been, the the boundaries have been set. This is what he, his good pleasure to do. This is what he wants to do. Now it's up to you. You, This, what he's designed, what he wants, what he's given, what he's done, all predestined, all set before the foundations of time. What you do with it is where free will comes in. Do you say yes or do you say no? Can you say yes or can you say no? Theologians have been arguing that for a long, long time. It's kind of like the, in, in philosophy class one time in, in, in college, I remember they said, you know, this, they made the statement, it's like, um, is this reality or are you just in a dream? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, his much learning has made him mad. I'm like, my dad barely finished the seventh grade and he pretty much knows he's real. <laughs> You've got a PhD and you're not sure if you even exist. I'm like, I think I'm going to go back and talk to my dad, right? I'm just saying, education doesn't necessarily take away stupidity sometimes. I'm sorry, it's true. So, the boundaries marked and set off for the believer, but a person has to choose to come in. So, the word foreordained, and this is super important, does not mean that God chooses some persons for salvation and everyone else for eternal punishment. Now, you and I can argue that over coffee if you'd like, and we can get into the theological discussion, but I'm just going to throw some scripture at you, and then we can talk after. 
Scripture actually teaches the exact opposite. This is John 3.16. You probably know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not everybody is going to do it. But whoever does, this is what happens. This is the boundary set aside. Romans 10.13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse Timothy 2. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, um, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. That's good news, isn't it? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's his will. 1 John 2, 2, he is, atoning, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's done everything he can. It's, everything's been presented. It's up to you to say yes or no. How will they hear unless a preacher goes and preaches and tells them, right? So there's something upon us to say, we get to be the bearer of good news, that God has presented this. He's created. His boundaries fall in pleasant places. It's our choice whether we want to come in and be in Christ or not. So let me get to adopted. Again, there's a lot we could talk about, but that's pretty simple, and I want to keep it, keep it as simple as I can. This is adopted. The word adoption means to place as a son. I mean, if, if we're not careful, though, we'll get caught up in what adoption means now and what adoption meant then. And they're a little bit different. I'm going to talk about that for just a second. There was um, an ancient, in the ancient world, the family, especially in Paul's day, the family was, um, it, it was followed by the law of Rome. Okay, there was a law in Rome called uh, patria potestas. It's a Latin phrase, and it just means the father's power. That's a sermon series all by itself. <laughs> but what would happen is, we, I've shared a little bit of this before, but as a Roman citizen, Paul would have known this. So Paul's writing this, or the writer, uh, if you don't think it's Paul, whoever the writer was, this was their culture. They understood this law, and they're talking about adopted within the context, not American adoption or, uh, or modern adoption, but under the context of this uh, patria potestis, the father's power. So the law gave the father absolute authority over his children so long as the father lived. Remember in the scripture where um, uh, scripture says he ever lives to make intercession for us, Right? And so what, what we hear in that, because we don't understand grace, because we, we, we're so immature, what we hear in that is he's always having to make intercession for us. He's arguing before the Father, please, please, Father, don't kill them. They're stupid. They're just ignorant. Please don't. Please, please, please. And if you take it even further, religions like Jesus isn't even enough to plead, for your, plead your case. You have to go to his mother, Mary, and have Mary plead to Jesus so Jesus can plead to the Father. And then you back that up, and then you get the saints involved. I'm like, before long, you've got 100 people pleading your case for something God's already given you. All right? So the Father has absolute power. And before the foundations of time, he chose you to be in his family. So he could work his kids. He could enslave them. He could sell them. Aren't you glad that's not modern-day adoption? <laughs> So he could, sell, he could sell them if he wished. He could pronounce the death penalty upon them as a father. That's frightening, isn't it? Regardless of the child's adult age, the father held all power over personal and property rights. Everything that the kids had belonged to them until the father died. So he ever lives to make intercession for us means that because he lives, intercession has been made and is continually made because he's alive. 
right? We've gotten into that before and in, in about wills and that kind of thing. So adoption was a serious matter. If you adopted someone in the Roman, under Roman law, it was a pretty serious matter because you could not unadopt them, right? So it was a common practice because if, if you didn't have a, a, a son, you couldn't, you couldn't have, the family name couldn't go on. And so there was a real com- it was a common practice in, in Rome at the time. But here's what happened. When a child was adopted, there were three legal steps that were taken. This was the first one. The adopted son was adopted permanently. You didn't keep the receipt and take them back to Walmart if you didn't like them. Right? Some of you guys are like, I still have the receipt from Flowers Hospital, so if you don't shine up, I'm going to take you back and get another one. Right? <laughs> so he could not be adopted today and disinherited tomorrow. He became a son of the father forever. He was eternally secure as a son. Secondly, the adopted son immediately had all rights. Listen, immediately had all rights, the rights of a legitimate son in the new family. Immediately, all rights. Thirdly, the adopted son completely lost all rights in his old family. So what does that mean? The adopted son was looked upon as a brand new person. So new that old debts and obligations connected with his former family were canceled out and abolished as if they never existed. You can find this in legal law. They've discovered documents of Roman legal law where this happened. One of them was, was one of the emperors actually adopted a son, and, and the son fell in love with his new adopted sister. <laughs> Sounds like, you know, some, anyway, I'm not going to get that. <laughs> so the son wants to marry the sister. It's not his real sister, but it's his legally adopted sister. And this law was so powerful that they had to write a new law for the Caesar, for the, for the emperor, so that he could marry his sister, who wasn't technically his sister. But she was so his sister by that law that they had to write another law <laughs> to deal with that one single issue. It's an interesting concept. So the Bible says several things about the believer's adoption. So this is you being adopted, where he says you were adopted before the foundations of time you were adopted. The believer's adoption establishes a new relationship with God forever. He's eternally secure as a child of God. We talked about this. The new relationship is established only when a person comes to Christ through faith. In other words, if you're not in Christ, you're not adopted. It's, this is the only way. Galatians 3.26 says this. For you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Only way to come in. Galatians 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That's you, okay? Secondly, the believer's adoption establishes a new relationship with God as father. He's, he's the king, he's God, but he's also your father. So you, the believer has all the rights and privileges of a genuine son of God. As, Jesus says, as I am in the, in the world, so are you. That's a hard one to swallow, right? Because it's like, well, Jesus is special. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's the firstborn son, right? He's big brother, but he's a son. And everything that was given him because his righteousness is given to us, everything that was given him has been given to you and I. But we don't often use it. So Romans 8, 16 says it this way. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. At some point, you know. If you're born again, you know I'm a son or I'm a daughter. Even if you're a daughter, just to clear this up, I'm going to say this a lot. Even if you're a daughter, you're a son. So some of you guys are like, now here we go with the transgender argument. This is not going to be good, right? So confusing, right? <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. In, in, in this context, this was all about your inheritance, right? 
And if you were a girl in that time, you got none. Your inheritance was tied to your father or your husband, right? Aren't you glad Jesus took all that away, right? <laughs> so it always comes back to this, and we have to be reminded this, but that he has become our father, and when he did, we are a son in terms of inheritance, even if you're a daughter. I want you to understand that, because if you're not careful, you'll forget. You're like, you start thinking daughter, and you'll, and you'll t- turn the inheritance thing into a gender thing. And at some point, this is what the Bible says. I'm a, you, you want to mess with your head for a second. It's what the Bible says. That there's going to come a day when li- we're going to be like the angels will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Much of my identity is masculine, right? Most of it. <laughs> Sometimes I cry at movies, especially when dogs die. My wife is very female, right? Very gender specific, and we have these roles, and she's really, and it's just the way it is. God designed it. Now, not everybody fits perfectly into that. We're on a spectrum, right? That's how it works. But there's going to come a day when gender won't define me at all. That's really difficult because most of my life, that's how it's been defined. There's going to come a day, 30 years of marriage to this woman, that as much as love as I have for her, the, the, the joy, the, everything that we've had together for 30 years in the context of marriage is a symbol of something that's more permanent. And one day, that symbol is going to be, the, the, the perfect is going to be so powerful that the symbol is going to fall away into nothing. And I can't wrap my head around that. I can't. I struggle to. Because I'm like, but we're in, we're in heaven, we're going to live in the same house, right? <laughs> right? The Bible says, neither married nor given in marriage. So this whole gender thing is important, right? That's why there's such a fight in the culture when it comes to gender. But it's why it's so important with reminding you that there's an inheritance to you in, these, in, this, in this scripture, in the law of scripture, in the understanding of Ephesians coming at that this is your identity regardless of your gender. It's helpful to know that. So number three, the believer's adoption establishes a new dynamic experience with God as Father. It's moment by moment. Listen to Romans eight fourteen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So, if you choose not to be led by God, um, you're still a child of God if you're a believer. Understand that. But what the scripture is saying in that is if you're led by God, what that means is you have an active moment-by-moment relationship with God. So people ask me questions sometimes. They're like, hey, how do you know what to do? How do you know what school to go to? How do you know what person to marry? I mean, so big decisions in life. How do you know what to do, right? And the answer is you're connected to the Father. And so it's not, you know, we, we talk about Valentine's Day came and went, and I didn't get a chance to talk about this, but we mess this up so much in, in our culture. Uh, and we try to build relationships, and we try to think of God the way we think of things. Now, here's what's interesting. It, it, it all originates with God. So this will help you, I hope. The Bible says that God is altogether not like us. Right? So that means the way you think has to be transformed way, to the way he thinks. That's why maturity is such a challenging thing and why often people don't go there. I have to think differently about something. So how do I do that? And the first answer is it comes by revelation. In in a little while, not today, but in a little while in Ephesians, we're going to get to where he talks about the mysteries, the mystery of the gospel, the mysteries of God. They're not mysteries like what we think. All a mystery is in Scripture is something that wasn't revealed that is now revealed. It's no longer a mystery. That's why he talks about that. And so the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of us in our relationship with God as Father, there's a mystery that says that even though we may sin, who we are in our identity is sinless. 
And that means I can relate to him constantly. Even if I've got sin in my life, I can relate to him as father. Now, why is that important? Because that's how all of us grow into maturity. That's the journey that all of us make. Now, I've said this a hundred times, but you know, if you're 16 years old and you're still, poop, still pooping in your diaper, there's probably something medically wrong with you. Right? <laughs> that's why Paul comes back and goes, by now you ought to be teachers. I'm having to teach you this stuff again. So it's not okay to be immature. One, there's a whole inheritance that God has he wants to pour out into your life and bless you with that you don't get to receive because your thinking isn't straight. Old stinking thinking theology, remember that? So so what God's trying to do is say, I want to tell you who you are. I want to give it to you by revelation. You have to make a choice about whether you believe it or not. So study, the Bible says, right? Study to show yourself approved unto God. Not so that God would approve of you. That's not what that scripture says. It says to study, to show yourself approved. In other words, to, to, to walk out what God's intention is for your life. And so this intention he has is a moment-by-moment access, even if you have sinned. Why is that important? Because here's what we do when we're immature. I sin and I, because I think my way, and I think earthly, and I think, you know, my father, I did something wrong against one of you guys, and you're super mad, and you're disappointed in me, and all these other things, right? Or I do something against my natural father, and he doesn't handle it well. And so what happens is I start thinking that's how God works. But it's altogether not like us, so he thinks differently. And we have to learn to think that way. So what does that look like? That's why scripture in Hebrews says, you can come boldly before the throne of grace for help in time of need. Right? What does that mean? How in the world can you come boldly before God? And the answer is the only way is you're in Christ. And your identity is settled forever as a son. It's settled. It's finished. And that gives you access to God on a moment-by-moment basis. So what does that look like? What if I have patterns of sin in my life? Either it's something that never got taken away because I kept doing it, you know, nobody ever challenged me, or someone did challenge me, and I just withdraw from them and move on, and I've kept it with me, and I've been saved 10 years, right? By now, I ought to be teacher, but I'm not. I'm still a child. He's still giving me milk. I'm still getting grace, thank God. What is he looking for? He's looking for us to say, okay, enough, really, enough, I I was a child, but I'm not a child anymore. It's time for me to put this away. So whatever that is, is leaning into it. You've been given the power. So what does that look like in grace? It looks like this. If you have a pattern of sin in your life, what I've discovered is when I was thinking immaturely, I would not come to him until I was doing better. I read my Bible. I was praying a little bit. I connected with some believers. I did some positive stuff. You know, I avoided the sin, whatever it was. I managed to avoid it for a little while. And then I would come back to him, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll just pretend like that never happened. And, stuff, right? and then it would happen again. I know I'm not talking about any of you guys. It's just me. It's my personal journey. And I would say, ah, and then I would, you know, duck back. And in my theology, I wasn't sure. Here's the line of salvation. I wasn't really sure. I mean, I know I was right on the line. Maybe, maybe I'm a son, but I'm a horrible son, right? I was a terrible son, but probably I'm not even a son because he's super disappointed. And he's up there just rolling his eyes constantly, going, oh, right? No, that's what you do. That's not what he does. So stop thinking that way. Right? It's a choice. You have to make a choice about who he is. Now, I'm not saying if you're not fully convinced, that's fine. That's what scripture's for. That's what this is all about. It's what the teaching is about. It's to get us there, right? But what does that look like? Look at Galatians 4 6. 
Because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Before Jesus came on the scene, um, the word Father is mentioned throughout Scripture. And all but one time, it's mentioned that God is the Father of the nation. All but once. So in all the times you read Father in the Old Testament, all but one is the nation of Israel. It was never personal. Almost never personal. The moment Jesus shows up on the scene, 40-something times in the Gospels, he says Father, and he means Abba. He means Daddy. He means what Yankees wish they could have with their dads. You call him Daddy. That's what my, <laughs> my cousins called their dad, Daddy. Not even Daddy. It's like, that doesn't sound right, but it's just, it was an approximation of Daddy. As an adult, you can't say Daddy, so they said Daddy, right? <laughs> Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So what does that mean? It meant that they had a relationship that they could come before him, regardless of what they'd done. He was always going to be their father, and he was always going to love them, and he was always going to work it out. And he was not disappointed. And that's, that's your father. He's not disappointed in you. He's not. He chose you before you ever showed up, before any of this ever showed up. He chose to adopt you. And it's permanent. That's why Paul uses this. It's permanent, and it creates a relationship with God that you can come to him moment by moment, which means you can come to him, that scripture in Hebrews, and say, I, I just sin this juicy sin. It's a pattern of sin in my life, and I can go to the Father and say, God, what's going on? Can I just tell you, you cannot do that if you, if you haven't moved to that level of maturity. You can't. Because you know what? You don't, you're not going to talk to him. Because you're going to think he's disappointed. You're going to think he's angry. When clearly Scripture in Revelation, he's revealed us to us that he is not. He, he said, I'll never be angry with you again because of what Christ did on the cross. I won't be. Why? He poured out all of his wrath and all of his anger and all of his judgment on his son. And there is none left for you. What if you started living as if that was true? How quickly would we mature? That's, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the church today. That the enemy has brought this deception in that says that God's angry with you. And he's disappointed in you. And so because of that, you can never come boldly into the throne room of grace. Not that you can't, you won't, because you don't believe you can. You won't come boldly before the throne room of grace, before your father, and going, Dad, what's, what is it that's causing this? I know this is not who I am. I know this is not my nature. I know I have a new heart, and yet I keep falling into the same pattern. What's going on? Would you show me? Did you get to the root of it? Right? And oftentimes we're like, I don't know if I want to get to the root of it. <laughs> right? Because sometimes it's, it's the question... Let me give you an example. It's a relationship that you know is wrong. And you come boldly before the throne of grace. You say, God, I don't understand. This relationship's going south. And God says to you, in his kindness, he says, it's because I'm not in it. I'm not in this relationship. You should separate. You should walk away from this. <gasps> but I love him. But I love her. But God, you... We're so good to get. Are you really? <laughs> right? That's just one example, right? I keep failing my finances. I've got a mentality of poverty. This happened to me. Finally came before the Lord. I said, Lord, what is going on? Why do I keep doing this? I don't understand this. And so God's like, you really want to know? I'm like, yeah. So over the course of about two or three years, he showed me. Part of it was growing up in poverty. It had created a mindset in me, and my mind had to be transformed. Still is in some areas. 
Like I want to hoard things, right? Because when you're poor, you know when you don't know when you're going to get it again, right? So you get something, you're like, oh, this is mine. You want to be selfish, right? <laughs> you eat your you eat your dinner like this with you know your arm around it with a you know stabby thing to get your brother, right? So you do. Why? Because in your head, there's not enough for you. But what if God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I won't leave you as orphans. I won't do it. I will come to you. I will. What if you prayed and said, God, I don't know what to do. I wish you would talk to me. Really? The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. Not my sheep can hear or should hear. My sheep do hear. You just don't know you're hearing. God's talking to you. You just don't, you haven't recognized, you haven't grown up in that place where you recognize who it is or how he's talking to you because oftentimes it's a place that he wants to take you that you haven't gone before. Let me give you another example. When I, when I first started moving in the gifts of the spirit, right, I'd I'd grown up heathen. (laughs) Um, Southern culture, moralistic, you know, that was a big problem that I had to work through. But when I learned about the things of the spirit, they were really different, like tongues. Tongues made no sense to me. Still don't. (laughs) <laughs> so if you've, never, if you've never been around tongues, let's have a conversation. It's a fun one, right? Especially if you're smart. The smarter you are, the, the dumber tongues sound, and the more you need to speak in tongues. I'm just being honest. Because part of it is, it, 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 the reason God does it is he deals with intellect. That's part of what tongues are. It's just, he's like, Lord, that makes no sense. He'll say, yeah, I know, to you. Because you think you're smart. Right? So I started moving in this, and I gave a message in tongues in a church service. So speaking in tongues, there's two different kinds of tongues, I don't have time to get into this, but speaking in tongues as a personal prayer language is one thing, and then sharing a message in tongues on a Sunday morning is a gift like prophecy or like some of the other gifts that happen, right? Manifestation gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. So it happened a couple times with me. Karen would do it a lot, right? Because she's bold, and she has a prophetic gift, and she's, and she, she, she'd just do it. She'd just obey. And me, I would I struggle. But I did it one time, and every time I do it, I have this unction, I would call it, and this just build up in my chest, and I feel like my, you know, I was like an erupt, right? And I would do it, and it would be awesome, and there would be fruit, and God, the interpretation would come, and it would touch people's lives, and I was like, oh yeah, God, this is so cool, this is amazing, this is really cool. And then one day, I sensed I was supposed to give a message in tongues, and there was no unction. And I was like, what deceitful devil has come to me now that trying to get me to give a message in tongues, and... I don't feel the unction. Never mind that I'd never seen anywhere in the Bible where there was an unction necessary. <laughs> Forget Scripture. We don't need Scripture. This is how I do it, right? So I've, been, I've always done it this way. <laughs> I'm sorry. So it gets to this, this place, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I go to the person who was mentoring us through the gifts, and I said, hey, this weird thing happened. He said, yeah, next time that happens, just do it. I'm like, what about the unction? He goes, that was because you're young, and you're immature, and you needed help. He said, would you have done it without that? I was like, no, it's too terrifying. He goes, ta-da. <laughs> so the next time service came up, phew, there it was. And I was like, ah. Oh. Now, sometimes it still happens, right? I knew to do it, but I wasn't feeling it. It wasn't the unction. I just knew because I'd grown up a little bit in the Lord. So I did it, and sure enough, someone interpreted it, and it was the same fruit, exactly the same. Only you know what was different now? I didn't need a prompt. I had learned to obey as a son, right? I like it when I feel it. I love it. It's easy, right? If you ever see us as elders gathered up here together, it's because there's no, there's no unction. <laughs> it's like, hey, is this God? I'm not sure. Let's talk this through. What's the Lord doing? We're, trying, we're working it out, right? 
And you do the same thing. It's why we gather together as brothers and sisters. The whole idea behind this is God wants to grow us up. And how we used to think, we have to stop thinking that way and start thinking a different way. Allow your mind to be transformed. What's our vision at DCF? What's our vision statement, our mission? The, the, what we do, we transform lives. That's what we do. We transform lives. Really, we're not doing it. We're creating environments for it. But we transform lives how? By encountering grace and the Holy Spirit, right? So let me wrap it up with this. There's a couple other things I could say. The believer's adoption gives him a very special relationship with other children. That's us together, right? We need one another. God made sure of it. The believer's adoption makes him a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. 2 Peter, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. What's he saying? That when you were a child, you acted like a child. You were moved by your five senses. But you have been given every spiritual blessing. And your spiritual man has to grow up. That spirit, your spirit came alive in Christ. Before that, you were dead in your trespasses. You had a soul but just like animals have, you know, they have a soul. I don't mean like the way you think of it. I mean they're, they're different than vegetables, right? They have, they have a will. They, have, they think. They process. And you had that as a person before you became a believer. But when you became a believer, your spirit came alive. And when it did, it gave you access to the God who is the spirit. And he made a way, and in his spirit is how he operates now. He doesn't operate in the natural. That's not how it works. He said, those things are childish. They're immature. It's time to grow up and walk in the Spirit. That's why he said, those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God, right? So how do we do that? It comes, obviously, through Christ. Let me just finish by reading the Scripture again, Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So, we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. This is what it says in the, new, uh, in the easy to read version, the ERV. Verse 6, and this brings praise to God because of his wonderful grace. God gave that grace to us freely. He gave us that grace in Christ Jesus, the one he loves. So what does that mean? That means because of what Jesus did in grace, you are forever a trophy of God's grace. So he said it's going to be to his praise. It's not just you praise him for it. That's true. But he's talking eternally. What does he mean by that? That He means, it, it, Scripture said it this way, that the, old, the prophets longed to look into this thing called salvation. But they didn't have the revelation. That's why Paul said there's, it was a mystery that was revealed to him. Right? This is the gospel. And it's been revealed to you too. And then it, the Bible says angels long to look into this, right? So what's the problem? Angels are, in terms of spiritual beings, are above us. Remember the devil is an angel and he was cast down and the archangel Mike, and every time an angel appeared, people would fall as if dead in front of them, right? They're powerful spiritual beings. They've been with God. He created them, but they've been with God. Long, long time. They're powerful. But they're different than you and I, you and I am. In this respect, they cannot be redeemed. But you can. 
That means there's a song that you can sing for all of eternity that no other creature, nothing else in creation can sing. That we were adopted as sons. That we were broken and messed up in our sin. We had, we had raged at God in some form or fashion. And in His mercy and His kindness, He drew us to Himself. He gave us grace. He gave us His love from the beginning. And He adopted us. And it was His good pleasure to do so. Let me finish by reading this passage. This is a song. Someone mentioned this recently. And it just happened to fit. This was Newsboys from the 80s. They were actually in Dothan recently. That's where it, why it came up. But this is part of that song called The Song of the Redeemed. Of all the songs sung from the dawn of creation, some were meant to persist. Of all the bells rung from a thousand steeples, none rings truer than this. And all the powers of darkness tremble at what they've just heard. Because all the powers of darkness can't drown out a single word. Why don't you stand with me? I'm on the verge of tears right now because that's deep to me. That's what matters most, the song of the redeemed. All this other stuff's going to burn up. It's going to go away. But you and I, we're going to be here forever. You are a much-loved son of a great, amazing, faithful, and loving father who has already been blessed with an inheritance. Believe who he says you are so you can have what he says you can have. Amen? Jesus, we love you and we thank you. It's the song of the redeemed, Lord. It's the song that only we can sing. God, help us to realize it. Help us to see it accurately. Help us to see the majesty of it, Lord, to entertain the depths of it, Lord, that our heart would widen itself, Lord, be able to receive everything that you are and everything that you promised and all of the love that you want to bring us. God, transform our thinking so that we can grow up fully in you. Lord, not only do we realize that we are in you and nothing can ever change that fact. It gets settled. Those things are finished. But Lord, we begin to be about our Father's business just like you were, Jesus. Show us this, Lord, this truth of who we are so that we can be about your business and have the impact that you designed your kids to have, to walk in the authority, to enforce the authority that you brought through the cross, that the demons would tremble, that the demons at the sound of your voice, Lord, would back down. Lord, that the world would recognize that you are the great God and you are the God who loves them and wants to draw them to yourself. Help us to see it and help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray for you. Our ministry team is up here to do just that. Otherwise, have a wonderful, wonderful week.